and again, don't ref- don't uh, uh, thank you for praying for those Bibles that we're getting out too. That's gonna, that's exciting. All right, so um, we've been in the book of Ephesians and and talking about revealing our true identity. So that's been we've been working chapter four, and uh, just uh, real quick, the the purpose of our time here is to reveal Christ's sufficiency, the church's unity, the Christian's duty, and we're going to be wrapping up the section on the the church's unity here in chapter four tonight. And then uh, chapters 5 and 6 deal with the, the, the duty of the Christian, really, in chapters 5 and 6. So we'll get into that next time. And then building the body of Christ in the image and likeness of Christ is really the, the theme. Um, and the, the, uh, and the, uh, the chapters 1 and 2, we've already covered it, deal with Christ's deity, reinforce the unity of the church, and, and chapters 5 and 6, the duty, as I just said. So uh, we've already covered the unity of the body of Christ. We've covered... Uh, we've been looking at the diversity in the body of Christ. And so uh, we talked about walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. I've covered all of that, how to walk worthy of the vocation that we're, wherewith we're called. Um, we've talked about uh, several things. I'm going to fast forward to where we have been in chapter uh, 4, verses 7 through 13. So in the last, uh, I think, week or two, uh, we've talked about uh, how, God, how we can see God's unity uh, and through, or we can, as we see God's unity, we see the beauty of His diversity, and we saw that in verses one through six, and and so we we saw some lessons from studying God's unity on the body. We saw that God's unity precedes our diversity. Right? Before God gets involved in talking about the diversity of the body of Christ, uh, uh, that would be under point A. There, uh, it's not on your outline. We saw that God's unity precedes our diversity. That's how uh, verses chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 start, talking about one body, one spirit, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And then it shifts to the diversity. Uh, and there's no diversity without charity. So I, I was pointing that out as well. Um, in verse uh, 6, it says, One God and one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith... When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Let's see, where am I at? I'm so I missed the love. Verse two: With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And so, love is a key component to uh, the the diversity of the body of Christ, and it doesn't conflict with individual liberty. So, it's kind of an interesting thing to look at, especially in the current culture of the world today, uh, to understand uh, God's uh, you know. God's unity precedes our diversity, and, and then that our our diversity can't be functional without charity, right? Without love, you really don't have an ability to handle diversity. Uh, and then uh, we should, of all people that should celebrate diversity, it's the body of Christ. But in that, we're all unified in one through Christ and through, through the Godhead. And so, um, and then the wild thing is that, uh, and that's really what we're spending the time on now, is is that is both the unity of the Godhead and the diversity of the body does not Im- impede your personal, um, it doesn't conflict, that's really what I should say, conflict with individual liberty. So those are some pretty big concepts that I was throwing out there, but you really find all of that as you go through Ephesians and as you get into chapter 4. All of those themes are kind of rolling together in one. And, uh, and so point B it was we talked about how our diversity is found in Christ's grace to every one of us. So uh, in verse 7, but every, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And so we spent some time talking about the, the gift of Christ is what makes us a gift to the body. 
because every born-again Christian has the gift. If you're born again, you've received the gift of eternal life, so you're born again. That's the gift of Christ, and then that is what makes us a gift to the body. So many times we think about gifting, and from such a selfish perspective about what we've been given, but really to look at it biblically, what you've been given is Christ, and you have been then given a local church or a body of believers to function in. So you are now a gift to the body. Now certainly there is uh, a way in which God wants to utilize you, your, you and, and the supernatural relationship you have with Christ within the body. Like I can look at Stan. Stan here is a, I can look around the room. I mean, all of you got different gifts, and Stan is a gifted evangelist. There's just no doubt about it. So God uses his personality. He's out on the road. He's sharing the gospel, right? Jeff back here is a gifted teacher. So we all got gifts, you know. Uh, there's some folks that are just like gifted servants. They're just deakers, man. They just serve, 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 serve. And, uh, and they're in that by doing that, they are a gift to the body supernaturally. I mean, God uses them to build the body, which is really what chapter 4 is also talking about as it transitions to the gifts, right? And we talked about that last week, that meaning the officers that God has given to uh, both establish and then build the body and really finish off the body. And so I'm kind of fast-forwarding here through some of my notes. So we talked about uh, considering the, the uh, contrast uh, in Ephesians 4.8, um, where, wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And so we talked about the distinctions between what Paul says in Ephesians 4.8 in uh, Psalm 68 and verse 18, uh, in Ephesians 4, 8, God uses Paul to say that, that he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. In Psalm 68, 68 and verse 18, the prophecy concerning Jesus uh, leading captivity captive deals with him receiving gifts of men, which is an interesting contrast. So in one place he's receiving gifts, the next place he's giving gifts. And so, of course, with us in Acts chapter 2, we talked about how when the church was um, infused with power through the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2 in birth, uh, God gave us the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's the one thing every Christian shares in common. So when you get saved, you get all of the Holy Ghost the moment you get saved. And, uh, and that is the gift of Christ. So it's appropriate. We talk, took some time talking about that. It's appropriate to say Christ is in you. It's appropriate to say the Holy Ghost is in you. And it's appropriate to say God is in you because these three are one, right? And so God is in us of a truth. And, different, and I showed you the different passages in the New Testament that, that you know, they don't conflict. They just, they agree that uh, these three are one. And, uh, and so you have that kind of power in you. Um, and the gift that we have is God. God has literally given us himself in our bodies, which is crazy to think about. And so then I transitioned and took some time to talk about uh, the power of the, the parenthetical phrase in verses 9 and 10. Because uh, Paul, you can read, a, when you're reading in the Bible or any document and there's a parenthesis, it's intended to be able to read past what's in the parenthesis and keep, continue, you know, continue the thought. What's in the parenthesis is also informative, right? It gives you more understanding and information about what's being said. So we took some time and talked about what was in the parenthesis, and then we also read it without the parenthesis. And so if you read it without the parenthesis, it says, Wherefore, in verse 8, he saith, When he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men, and then he skips to verse 11, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. And that's about where we left off last week. And so we talked about specifically how God has given officers for the church as gifts, right? He's given, uh, from the foundation of the church, he gave apostles. Uh, the, the apostles referred to the prophets, the, the word that had been given, and also New Testament before the completing of the word of God, the gift of prophecy was available 
And uh, now everything that we have is, is in the Word of God, and he gave evangelists, and he gives pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers are combined. And I would submit to you that's the way the church age ends off with the pastors and teachers. But there's also evangelists. And, uh, of course, we are built upon that foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay, so we talked about that. And then I also talked to you about the, the, the stature, right? Because we, in that parenthesis, it says, Now he that ascended, what is it? But also he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that is ascended up far above all heavens, all the heavens, plural, three heavens, that he might fill all things. And so he goes from uh, the center of the earth to the third heaven. As Paul talked about it, we talked about paradise in the third heaven. And we know that the, there's, a, there's a magnitude of glory that's, uh, or, or there's something that he's referring to about comprehending in chapter 2 and verse 18. He says that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And uh, if you were here when I went through chapter 3, I correlated um, that statement. I believe there is some, some, uh, something that God is revealing in, in, uh, as, as Paul goes forward in chapter 4 as he keeps dealing with these dimensions uh, and the scale and the, and the fullness of which Christ has redeemed us from, from hell below to the third heaven. He's completely sufficient for uh, our re- not just our redemption, but ultimately everything is going to be redeemed by Christ. And the more we know him, the more we understand his redemptive power. There's dimensional aspects to being in Christ and the gift of Christ that, um, that has been revealed to the church. And, and we've covered some of that earlier in the previous chapters, right? Paul comes out and he talks about this dispensation of grace and he talks about mysteries. And we talked about how God has revealed these mysteries. So there's seven mysteries, at least, given to the church in the New Testament, and we understand those mysteries help reveal to us God's plan and how He is, how, and really what we, we're, we're stewards of the mysteries of Christ. So mysteries aren't things we don't know, the, those are things that were hid, but with the advent of Christ, the giving of the Holy Ghost to the church, guess what? We have a full understanding of the dimension of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of what really Jesus Christ has done to redeem not just humanity, but all of creation. We're part of that story, and it does not yet appear what we, what we shall be. But the reality is we should have insights to uh, what is the breadth, the width, the depth. And I, was, I correlated those also with the, with the, the commas in verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 12, dealing with, um, or chapter 11, I'm sorry, or chapter 4 and verse 11, I'm sorry, uh, 4.11, with the prophets and what they understood, uh, how God revealed to them uh, information uh, in the Old Testament. And then, and then the apostles came and they understood who Christ was and they revealed that and then evangelists like Philip, and they began to spread that to the Gentile world, and, and the dimensions of the body of Christ began to grow. And they're still growing to this day until the fullness the fullness of the Gentiles, the, the scale of the body of Christ comes together, and we are caught up together with the Lord in the air. And so there's a dimensional aspect to the grace of God and the glory of God that's been revealed through the church of God, through these gifts that God has given uh, to the body of Christ. Are you guys tracking with me? That's some kind of Cerebral stuff there. So those are some cool things I've been meditating on. So we talked about all that, that he might fill all things. Ultimately, it's about Jesus Christ filling all things. And so as we're talking about those things that God has blessed us with, we're still anchored in the fact that it's all in God, right, in the first part of that chapter. And so, um, and so then we, we, so we read past all of that, and, uh, and that brings us to where we left off. So I'm going to pick up um, uh, with the outline here. Uh, the officers are gifts to the body. That's perfect. That's where we left off last week. I was kind of mumbling, fumbling, and bumbling. So I'm going to pick it up right there, and we're going to go forward. So the officers are gifts to the body. 
And uh, let me make sure I'm tracking with you on, uh, yeah, that's point G, I think. The, no, let me back up. Point G, what is point? EF. Okay, F, you don't have, do you? It's already filled in. All right, so let me just kind of bounce through that and we'll get to G. It won't take me long. So it's clear that the officers in the church are gifts to the body. Apostles span the gap. I already said this. Between the Old Testament and New Testament, the, the prophets provided revelation that is fulfilled in the New Testament. Evangelists promote the gospel to the world beyond Israel, to the Gentile nations. And then the pastors and teachers are the con- contemporary anchor to the church age. And we are built upon the apostles and prophets. So when you go back to, if you go back, just flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. And remember what Paul says here. He, and, and he's talking about uh, how at one time we were, we were like, man, we were, <clears throat> we couldn't get in the body if we wanted to, man. We were aliens, he says. In verse 19, he says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And, and notice verse 21, because I'm going to come back around to this in just a minute. In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy, hab- uh, holy temple in the Lord, in whom also ye are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Okay, so there's a building process going on. And we see very clearly here that, that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets of course, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he's talking about the structure of the body of Christ. The, again, I believe uh, that's building to chapter 3 where he deals with the dimensions. And then we get into chapter 4 which deals with how God is continuing to fill up the body of Christ. Okay, so, so that leads me to point G which is what's on your outline, right? So let's go to that. Uh, okay. Oh, that verse is up there even. Sorry, guys. That's okay. There, here we are. So then there's the responsibilities and expectations of the officers gifted uh, to the body. They are listed here in verse 12. For the, the, what, is, what, are, what are these guys for? What is God doing with these gifts? Well, in particular, uh, very, this isn't going to take a lot of time either. We'll just read what it says. The, the perfecting of the saints uh, for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So there's three primary things that uh, today pastors and teachers do, but, but the apostles, the prophets... The evangelists, the pastors and teachers have done throughout the church age, uh, and even before that, uh, was was preparing and then building uh, on the foundation of Christ, and then, of course, perfecting the saints, the work of ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, Ephesians is written to the church, so it's dealing with what God's doing in the church, perfecting the saints. What does the word perfect mean? Let me, I know many of you know what that, does that mean sinlessly perfect? What's it, what's it mean when, when we're reading it in the Bible? complete right it's complete so when you were you see that word per- perfect in our common vernacular right we're always like man that's like we always like to say sinlessly perfect and there is sinlessly sinless perfection in christ but really when you see it, he's talking about the perfection the completing now remember we're also talking about a building process here and so he's he we're perfecting the saints uh and we're already positionally perfect when we get saved we're holy but we're to be holy as he's holy because the sanctification that has happened positionally still has to be worked out of our life very practically. And so I'll talk to you more about that here in a minute as we grow in that. And then there's the work of ministry, and then there's the edifying of the body of Christ. So that's basically like here at Heartland. We edify, we exercise, and we engage. So my job as a pastor is to, to build people, perfect the saints, 
to do the work of ministry, exercise folks, and engage them in the ministry of the, of, of the Great Commission and getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. And so we edify, which is also simply means to build. All right, so that's, that's pretty straightforward. I think we've, we probably know that. Um, so, and that's what we just said. All right, so how long uh, is, what we're, is what we see in verse 13? So we go on down to verse 13. How long is this going to happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. So is this going to go on forever and ever and ever? Well, no, actually it's not. How long until we come into the unity of the faith? Until we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man under the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. So until the catching away of the church, right? Once the church is caught up, um, then, we, we will, uh, then we will know um, that that season is over, right? Because the, church, the saints will be perfect. We will be complete. Now, positionally, we're already complete in him, but there'll be a day... And we will all be caught up together with, with the Lord in the air. And I didn't put references on there, but if you just take your Bible, let's do a little Bible study, some references. If you don't already have them down that you need for this catching away, especially as the, the day, it's interesting, as the day grows near, the more people, less people actually believe in what the Bible says about this. It's, it's kind of strange, uh, but not altogether. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul writes here about the coming of Christ for the church. And this is dealing with the imminent return of Christ. And I, I usually pick it up in verse 13. Um, Paul is, they're, they're under persecution at Thessalonica. You know, it's, it's, it's like, like today, right? If you live in Armenia, uh, how many, let me ask you this. How many of you know that Azerbaijan is in a war with Armenia tonight? Ron, is the, right? No one, you knew that? Yeah, very few people even know that because it's not on the news. Um, there's big stuff happening in the Middle East, so don't let all the activity in America and the, the spurless conversation, which is pretty much empty, uh, take you, your eye off the ball. Right now in the Middle East, things are hot as a firecracker. So uh, Turkey is expend, expanding. It's, uh, it's like a proxy for Russia, and they're expanding their reach out across the northern part of, of uh, Syria over into, over into Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan, which is a Muslim state, is at war with a Christian state in Armenia, uh, which, by the way, I happen to know there's some Bible activity going on in Armenia. So, so it's a really a spiritual war that's become a hot war, and we need to be praying about those things. And we know what prophecy says. We know there's a lot of action that's going to happen there uh, prophetically anyway. So, but, you know, man, those are the things Christians ought to be going, wow. And we ought to also be praying for our brothers uh, I heard a report last night that uh, last week several Christians, uh, and I don't know if they're born-again Bible-believing Christians or just Christian by ethnic Christianity, but they had, they've been decapitating them. So I think I heard 20 people were decapitated. I don't know if those reports have been confirmed, but that's the, that's the word, is that there's been 20 Christian decapitations. So, um, so if you say you're writing the epistle to the Armenian church, right? You might be saying to the saints at Armenia, I know you feel like maybe we missed the rapture. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, you're in the tribulation period because the beginning of sorrows, this is a lot like what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, right? And so so Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, right? Because they pulled Jason out of his house and they were persecuting him and, and they were under a lot of stress. They were poor. They were under persecution. And so uh, Paul tells them in chapter 4, uh, he says, hey, uh, you know, live a good life, walk, you know, 
let God be God. He will judge all those things. You can read all that in the first part. You know, let brotherly love continue. Study the word of God. Be careful, right? Don't be obnoxious. Don't be stupid. Be wise. I'm just paraphrasing all that, right? Just be, just be, be cool, right? Fly under the radar if you can, because we understand it's tough over there in Thessalonica. It'd be something I'd tell Pastor, uh, Pastor Pradeep, right? Or Pastor Ganesh or someone like that. It's like, hey, man, I know you love Jesus, but be careful because we love you. We don't want to see you get killed over here. And so, and of course, they'll be like, no problem. I'm happy to die for Jesus. Why not you? You know, and then we'd be all convicted. But anyway, uh, that's the truth. But anyway, so in verse 13, he comes and he says, but I would, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, asleep means dead. And the reason he's addressing that, and by the way, you can go back to John, uh, John 11, where Jesus deals with Lazarus, and he very clearly defines the word sleep as death in that chapter. Uh, but he's telling them that because people have been killed in the church, right? So he says, hey, I want to talk to you about those that are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And it's a bummer when anyone passes. And when Christians pass, it's still a bummer, right? Because you suffer loss. And so when you lose a loved one, especially if they're, even if they're saved, if they're lost, it's really sad. But if you lose a loved one, even if they're saved, you miss them, right? And so there's sorrow. But he says, the good news is we don't sorrow like people that don't have any hope. We sorrow with hope. And he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Okay, so Paul's already written, absent from the body is present with the Lord. Okay, so uh, we see in Revelation uh, chapter 5, there's saints that are worshiping the Lord uh, before. Uh, anyway, I won't get into that. But anyway, so there's, there's, they're, they're absent from the body, present with the Lord. So they're with the Lord. But he says, for this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, that's verse 16. Some people are like, well, Brian, if they're absent from the body and present with the Lord, how do they rise? Well, this is what I believe. I believe that Paul clarifies that in 1 Corinthians 15, is that we have terrestrial bodies and we have celestial bodies. Okay, there's bodies. These are terrestrial bodies. Uh, we we operate in these things. These particular units aren't worth much. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul says, "In my flesh dwelleth no good thing." So they haul our souls around until the day that we take our last breath, and then we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. But we do need a terrestrial body, not just a celestial body, because the plan, the end game for the Church of Christ, is to return in victory with Jesus in Revelation chapter 19. And help him establish uh, his rightful place on the earth. And so for that, Joel chapter 2 makes it very clear. We come back in bodies, literally, in warlike bodies. They, you can thrust through and nothing's going to happen. They're not these old bodies. These are, these, are re, these are awesome bodies. And so at the catching away of the church, all the saints get retrofitted. And the ch- saints that are alive and remain, we get changed in an instant. Bam. And uh, it's going to be incredible. Uh, and then we all go to the judgment seat of Christ, and that will get all sorted out. But anyway, uh, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, I liken this to the trumps, like in the book of Numbers, uh, moving the troops. God is pulling us all together and mustering us up into the clouds. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds uh, to meet the Lord in the air. Now, Jesus doesn't, this is not the second coming. Jesus doesn't come back and put his foot, it's not, it's not the day of the Lord in Revelation chapter 19. This is the catching away of the church. We're, we're taken up 
at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. Wherefore, comfort you one another with these words. And I want to just throw this in just because there may be people listening. Uh, the catching away of the church does not have to coincide uh, with the Feast of Trumpets or the Pentecost. It could come any time. God will start his clock for Daniel's 70th week right on time, and it will be seven years, and it will follow the feast cycle, and it will it'll lay out just like the Old Testament cycles. But for the church, we can be caught up any time. We're not bound to that. Uh, and there could be time after the catching away before God even starts the clock on, on, his, on the 70th week with Israel. And so just FYI, I mean, God leaves some wiggle room in there. And so, but we should expect that coming, we should expect this right now. I mean, there's nothing to keep this from tonight. And so uh, a man of sin is going to come on the scene and they're going to rebuild the temple. There'll be worship and, and it's all going to be happening in Jerusalem. All right, so by the way, President Trump two years ago acknowledged Jerusalem as the capital. That hadn't been that, hadn't been that since David, well, Hezekiah and, uh, and back in the day. So, um, man, a lot of things are going on in world prophecy. Seventy years after Harry Truman acknowledged Israel as a state to the day. I just think that's amazing. So it's time. But before it comes, before there, if the Lord doesn't come tonight, it could get dicey. It could get to where you're like, man, maybe I missed the rapture. Paul's like, nope, that day's not going to come yet. Um, um, it, it's, it's coming. You're going to be caught up. You're going to be caught up together. So you haven't missed anything. Um, and so, uh, so that's a per, that's a passage that we go to. Also, go back to First Corinthians 15. I mentioned that already. That's also another chapter which clearly it gets kind of into the details of the of how we're resurrected. First Corinthians 15. I, if I had more time to to lay this out, there's a there's a lot of neat stuff in here about the body that I didn't get into that I've alluded to. So you can go back and read in like verses uh, 30, maybe later on. Um, Go back to verse 32 and start reading there, or 34. And he talks about how God gives different seed a body and how what you put in the ground is not nothing like what comes out of the ground, which is the same thing when you bury somebody. What, what comes out is way better than what went down. It's an old grain. It's an old kernel. You drop a kernel of corn in the ground, but what comes out? Man, a whole living plant. So there's this great distinction between the glory of these carcasses that get buried and the one that, that we get, the, ter- the celestial carcass, when we're resurrected. And so, and then he likens those to, to different magnitudes of glory, different, different, you can look into the stars, and you can say, well, there's the, look at that star, it's bright. Look at that star, it's not quite as bright. <laughs> and so, what does matter about what we do today is our inheritance. It'll be manifest in the resurrection how serious we've been about following the Word of God today. This is the only time in history you get to choose. Once we get out of here, I mean, we we're, we got a glorified body. We're all set. We're going to do what's right. But right now you get a chance to love God by keeping his commandments. It's a great opportunity to love God because he loved us first. So all that will be sorted out at the resurrection. And so uh, there will be some people you never noticed in the church that are going to be so bright. We're going to go, what in the world? Where did they come from? Well, you weren't paying attention, right? They were praying. They were, they were, you know. And there's some all-stars that you would think would be on the front row of heaven. They'll probably be in the back row. Dim light bulbs because they were doing it for the wrong reasons. So anyway, God will sort all that out. And then he gets over to, in this chapter, he gets over, I'm going to fast forward to the end. And he talks about a mystery. I just told you about a mystery. Here's one of them and one of the definitions in verse 51. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. 
Uh, now, he's showing us a mystery. He's not hiding this. He's revealing this. This is something that wasn't really visible uh, prior to the revelation that was given in the New Testament uh, through the Apostle Paul. He says, we shall not all sleep, which is what he was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed, just like he's showing in, in 1 Thessalonians 4. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and that's not Donald Trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. All right, the same exact thing. It's very clear. And then he gets into some details. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Right? These bodies, flesh and blood, cannot... Well, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption... Uh, inherit in corruption. You cannot get through outer space in these carcasses. You cannot enter into the throne room of heaven. You cannot do the priest. You can do the priestly work right now of praying. You can enter boldly through the blood of Christ into the throne room. But Christ is our. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation. He's the one handling that for us. But right now, if I cannot enter into the throne room in this carcass. I need a new body, and you do too. So death is mandatory for us. We kind of look like, oh, I don't want to die. But actually, I do want to die because I want to get my glorified body. Right? I do want to enter the throne room. I do want to go to, I want to understand the full dimensions of my salvation. I don't want to just get stuck on earth. I want to enter into the third heaven. <laughs> I, want to, I want to see the glory of God. I want, to, I want to, I've already seen it actually in Revelation. If you read Revelation, you can see yourself. You're already there. You know, it's kind of like a fast forward of where you're going. So you, I, I've seen that much of it, but I, I'm looking forward to the day I'm standing there looking back, <laughs> you know. And so there's some cool stuff to think about when you're dealing with this, this issue of being changed and caught up. And, uh, and, and, and so I look at Revelation chapter 4. I keep alluding to Revelation 4. So uh, after laying, giving the epistles to the seven churches there in Revelation 4, uh, John says, After this I looked, and, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard uh, was as it were a trumpet, just like we just saw in First Thessalonians 15, talking with me, which said, "Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be which which must be hereafter." And after a while, no, it says, "And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and boom, absent from the body, present with the Lord." But this now he is caught up. Literally, John is taken up into the third heaven, just like that. Boom. And that's exactly what it's going to be like for us. All right, so why did I mention that? Because, you know, how long do we, uh, how long is this, this setup that we're talking about with uh, the, the pastors and teachers, the evangelists that are building the church and bringing in the fullness of the Gentiles? Well, it's till, till the catching away of the church. Till then. Um, and then God will turn his attention to restoring Israel. And then after that, we'll come back the millennium and God will fulfill his promises of the Gentile nations and give Israel their inheritance. Our inheritance is Christ. Their inheritance is the promised land. And then the Gentile nations will get in uh, through uh, the nation of Israel. All right, so we're, new, we're different. The church, by the way, uh, our inheritance is spiritual. Uh, we don't get a land inheritance. Our inheritance is Christ. We get the best part. Um, and, uh, and Israel gets the, the physical. All right, so... Until the catching of the way, of away, that's how long we, we are, are, are going to do this. And we will be like Christ. And so the job of the pastors and the teachers is to prepare the bride of Christ to meet her groom. 
That's what this is about. Now, let's go back to Ephesians and check this out again. Let's look at it with fresh eyeballs. And you see here that this word perfect is coming back up again. So uh, we see in verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the job of the pastors is to prepare and the teachers and the evangelists is to prepare the body for the, for the groom. That's why we're here, until we see the perfect man. Our, our, our goal, our objective is Christ. And our motive is Christ. Uh, the impetus for me to be here tonight is to give you information to prepare you to meet your Lord. Right? And that's not a negative thing if you're saved. Right? It, it's ominous when you're, <laughs> you're, you know, you're lost and you're watching a Hollywood movie. Prepare to meet your God. Oh, no. For the Christian, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's get ready. Let's make it happen. So in Colossians 1 and verse 28, and I probably uh, need to make sure. Yeah, I probably have left off wherever I'm at here. Sorry, I'm not good with these. Uh, so so, uh, so Colossians 1, 28. I, I, I may have that verse up there. I do. Praise the Lord. It says there, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, oh, look at that little dot. Isn't that cool? Uh, that we may present every man perfect, there's that word, in Christ Jesus. So I'm not just saying that stuff. What's Paul's goal? To present every man, no offense, ladies, it's, it's to mean all of us, man or woman, every man perfect, complete, complete in Christ Jesus. Well, Brian, I thought you just said when we're saved, we're complete, we're holy. Well, we are positionally but the job, the reason God leaves us on this earth in, in these carcasses is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So to work out uh, practically what has already happened to us positionally. Right? So what we've obtained in Christ needs to be worked out here on this earth so other people can be perfected. Well, first connected, that's the work of an evangelist, and then perfected. Okay, so, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11 it's not the only place Paul talks about this. Check this out. So he says, Would to God you could bear with me a little of my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband. What's the word espoused? What's that mean? We don't use that much anymore. Yeah, we think of spouse. And espouse is like being engaged. I've set you aside to be married, right, to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay, all right. And let, let me back up a minute. So maybe there's more to it than just all of this about God and all this about his church and all of the dimensions. Well, yeah, there is. There's an adversary. His name's the devil. And he's walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Paul's like, hey, guys, I really want to present you as a pure, spotless bride but the reality is there is somebody actively working against that. And so there's also an agent working against God's will, a spiritual force. And, and it, of course, is Christ and, or not Christ, it is Satan and his, uh, and his uh, cohorts, as well as our own flesh, the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so, so the, the job of the pastor and the job of the church is to, to uh, 
preach, that's why we preach the whole counsel of God. Not just so you know everything, but that you can be everything. You often hear us say that. You need, you'll never do what God, you got to be what God wants you to be if you're going to do what God wants you to be. What did I say? Yeah, you got to, I didn't, th- I don't think I said that right. Yeah, before you can do what God wants you to, to do. You got to be who God saved you to be if you're going to do that which God has saved you to do. So you've got to, you've got to know who you are in Christ so you can accomplish that which he has set you apart for, set us apart for. And none of us are an island to ourselves, right? We all have a place. And so we're all about helping everybody else in the body, or we should be. Now, as we get closer to catching away, the more the, more the church is fracturing and becoming consumer-driven, what, what is in it for me? What is in it for me? What's in it for me and mine? Well, obviously, that's where people start, but that's not how we should finish. So let me keep talking about that. The next point is the responsibility of the, of the members of the body of Christ. So uh, we're not going to finish off talking about the pastors alone because, well, they've got their role. They got a big, they're going to be in trouble, right, if they don't do what they're supposed to do. They use the whole counsel of God to perfect the whole church of God and the word of God so everybody can be everything they're supposed to be. Okay, but what's our job as Christians? Well, I'm glad you asked. In verse 14, uh, Paul lays it out. So we're going to do this till Jesus comes, right? We're, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to perfect the saints until you see the perfect man. We're going to be like Christ as best as we can until we see the man, Christ Jesus, uh, face to face. All right, we got that. Okay, so Paul says, now what about today? That henceforth, right? So now that I'm writing this epistle, from here on out, folks, from henceforth, from now on, be no more children tossed to and fro. So since I've told you why I'm here, God's given me as the Apostle Paul. Uh, God has given me to the church. I'm an apostle. Uh, and uh, I'm just telling you, letting you all know, from here on out, there's a new sheriff in town, and it's Jesus, and you guys need to do what he says. That we henceforth, from here on out, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now notice this, that I just ended up that last point with the, the adversary that's working against the preparation of the bride of Christ. There is a, there, it's, not, it's, just not, it's just not, of course, hearkening back to Genesis. I mean, Satan just couldn't leave Adam and Eve alone. He had to get in the middle of stuff. And he had to try to mess up God's plan. Well, guess what? He's going to try to mess up your plan and God's plan, or God's plan for you as well. So Paul says, listen, let's, let's foil his plan by, let, by growing up. Let's mature up because that's necessary to combat the forces of hell. Let's not be children tossed to and fro. Let's take the things that we learn and actually apply them so that from here on out, we aren't going to be shaken by the adversary. You guys tracking with me? So perfecting the saints implies maturation. Perfecting the saints, completing the saints means growing up. That's why the point is grow up. I didn't get there yet, did I? So grow up. That's what Paul's saying. Grow up. I, can't, I can remember uh, in my young life as a young believer, this is so practical, I can still remember I was fortunate to be drawn to a Bible-believing and preaching church. Not initially, but that was, by the way, God had agents. The man who evangelized me also became my teacher, literally was my drafting instructor. By the way, pray for Earl. He's got, he's got cancer right now. I just found out last week. I don't know if I'm supposed to announce that, so I could be in trouble. Forgive me. But anyway, that's heavy on my heart. But it looks like a good prognosis, so I pray to God it will be. But anyway, he led me to Christ, and... Um, 
Then he starts teaching me the Bible, and he eventually persuades me to go to church, and then I eventually get persuaded to go to his church. Many of you know that testimony. All right, so I'm going to church now, probably baptized now, and every day in the summertime, it's my school break, between my junior and senior year, I'm sitting down in, my, in the living room, got my Bible open, and I'm watching Fred Price. Anybody know who Fred Price is? Amy knows Fred Price. And so Fred Price is up there, and, he's, and man, he is going to town preaching out of Ephesians chapter 6, of all things. And he is doing the whole armor of God. And I've got to be honest with you folks, that was some good preaching. And I'm sitting there every day, I'm calling Amy, my, my girlfriend, up. I'm saying, Amy, you've got to watch Fred Price. She's like, okay. So she's sitting in Buckner watching Fred Price. I'm sitting up here watching Fred Price. I got my notebook out, and I'm taking notes. And also going to Monday night Bible studies and going to church on Sundays and going through finishing up Discipleship One, you know. So I'm, I'm learning the Word, and I'm listening to Fred Price. I'm listening to anybody that's going to preach. I'm just hungry as a horse, you know, just taking it all in. And so I go through all of that, and I'm listening, and it's good. This is a good sermon series. And... Uh, and then, uh, and then one day, uh, he's done with that sermon series, and I, and I tune into him, and I'm, I'm watching him, and, and I start going, what? That doesn't, well, that doesn't sound right. He starts talking about the, the work of the Spirit and, you know, and, and uh, just some crazy stuff. I'm like, that's not what, I can't lose my Holy, I can't lose the Spirit. That's not what I learned in this discipleship, and that's, that's not what the Bible says, and, wasn't long. I mean, I'm like, this guy's a false teacher. Guess what? Fred Price is a false teacher. <laughs> I didn't know it. But what protected me was the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the gifts of God through the, Spirit, through the local New Testament church. And I mean literally the people of God, not just the pastors and teachers, though I give them all kinds of credit because God used them mightily. But even the man who discipled me one-on-one and sat there with the Bible, it, it was that investment. It wasn't like we went topically and said, hey, when someone starts preaching word faith, run the other way. That didn't actually come up. It's that when you teach the authentic word of God and the whole counsel of God, the winds of doctrine come, and it's kind of like, that just don't smell right. And so God protected me as a young Christian. You know what was happening is I was maturing. I didn't know I was maturing. But God in his grace and mercy, was he had put a, a structure around me, the word of God, and he put the spirit of God in me, and he gave me a local New Testament church that taught the whole counsel of God and was serious about perfecting, completing the work process in people's lives. And the next thing you know, I'm protected. That doesn't mean you're completely not vulnerable, but God used that. That was, that was amazing uh, how the word of God did that and, and how the local church did that and how the spirit of God did that. To, to keep me from following that false teacher. And by the way, in the meantime, I got a lot of edification for the Ephesians chapter 6. <laughs> so God used him too. So praise the Lord. And he'd end every, every uh, TV show. We walk by faith, not by sight. I always got a charge out of that. So I'll give him that. I like that too. So anyway, so around that same time, my neighbor, my neighbor came and invited me to his church. And, uh, and he was a nice young man, uh, just a little younger than me. His dad was a, was a minister. And we go down to their church in Sugar Creek. And uh, we, were, we were friends. You know, I went with them. And, and uh, uh, again, I was still this young Christian, young baby Christian. And, you know, when you're like that, it's like, hey, yeah, I'll go. You know, Youth for Christ, whatever. I've never been there. Let's go check that out. Let's, okay. 
We'll go wherever you tell me. I don't know. Let's go. So I go down there, and um, so this was in Sugar Creek, and I go to church there. And then, you know, this was a charismatic church. I hadn't, I hadn't been to a charismatic church. And, and so they get going, and everybody starts speaking in tongues, you know, and I'm like, what is that? And then, then we need to raise our hands. And I'm kind of like, okay. And then it was time for me to speak in tongues, I guess, or whatever. So anyway, what I remember is the preacher, which was the, my friend's dad and my neighbor, He's in the microphone, and he's literally, there's not that many people. There's about as many people there less than we have here tonight. And he's just looking right at me, and he's basically telling me what I need to do next. You know, and I'm just like, I ain't doing that. I'm not into that, man. And, uh, you know, it was just, you could feel, I could just feel the pressure from this guy. So I was like, no, we're not doing that. And then they started telling me that I needed to get, I really, you're saved, Brian, but you, when you speak in tongues, you, you're gonna, you have the evidence of your salvation. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, I've been through D1. That's not what I learned in D1. That's not what the Bible tells me. And so they started telling me about the tongues and stuff. And, and I swear, I had not been to, I hadn't had any teaching on this yet. And so I just went to the Bible. I had had principles of Bible study. So I knew how to, I understood context. Compare scripture with scripture, you know, let the Bible define itself. And so I went home and uh, I started studying out the passages, 1 Corinthians 13 on tongues. And I'm looking at that. And I didn't actually, the cool thing was I didn't have any kind of preconceived concepts about it. So I'm reading Acts 2. I'm reading 1 Corinthians, you know, I'm just reading it just like, okay, what does it say in historical context? What are they talking about here? You know, and I don't fully grasp all the 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 you know all the details of uh, the history behind people having their heads covered and not having I don't understand but what I could clearly understand is what Paul's saying is like hey don't do this if people don't understand what you're saying and I'm like that's exactly what was going on over there you guys don't know what's in. I mean I literally was like I, you don't so I challenged him I literally a guy who doesn't know anything about the Bible I said well wait a minute isn't this talking about other languages in Acts chapter 2, every man heard in their own language. We're talking about baby Christians. Everyone heard in their own language. They could hear and understand what was going on. And I, didn't, I don't think I understood yet that it was a sign for the nation of Israel yet even. I don't even think I fully grasped that. I just knew. I'm like, well, that's not what's going on over here. And by the way, I wasn't, I just, I got, I've got the Spirit of God. I've got Him in me the day I got saved. I mean, He came in. I mean, I was secure. I was absolutely confident in that. And so, again, I just mean, I mentioned that because it wasn't really just teaching particularly on that subject, but it was really just the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the local New Testament church, and the gifts therein, the body of Christ, doing what they're supposed to be doing and teaching God's Word, taking the Word of God seriously and teaching it to other people. That's why we do discipleship here. Discipleship 1, Discipleship 2, HBI. But in the ministries, when we have ministries, I mean, we like to open up the Word of God and put the Word first. That's why we call the Word first the Word first. We believe that if we can't get somewhere, we can send a Bible, and God will use His Bible. He'll use the Spirit of God. He will do stuff to get the message where it needs to go on time, because He's awesome in, in the true sense of the Word. And so we should note that Paul's language about these false teachers... Um, was that they use the sleight of men and the subtlety. Like when you hear slight, you think of sleight of hand like a musician or a musician, like a magician, 
right? Somebody who's like freaking you out, you know? It's like, who? how do you do that? These people are subtle. Uh, they're, they're like a card player, right? They're laying wait, and they're like ravenous beasts ready to pounce on the prey. We're lying in wait. You think about wild animals. I was just at a meeting yesterday, a pastor meeting, and Pastor Terry, uh, T- Terry, uh, Terry, Ogle was there, yeah. And he was telling me, he just lives a few miles from uh, Earl Cross, who led me to Christ back in Independence, where I'm from. And, um, and uh, he was telling me he shot a deer in his backyard. This was uh, last year. He says he goes out, and he's like, Anita, that's his wife. He's like, Anita, we got you know, to get the deer. And uh, I was razzing, are you going to make her get the deer? He's like, no, no, I need to go back to that. So he says, the, the time he took to go back to the house and to come out and dress that deer, he said it's, been, it's already been cut open, and all of its entrails have been eaten except for the stomach. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he goes, it was a panther. Right up here in Independence. He said it just ripped into that dead deer while it was, the blood was dripping and drug it just a few feet into the woods. It wasn't where it was at. First, I walk out, and he's like, where did my deer go? I'm like, it's an alien. No, he's like, no, it was a panther. And St. Earl, the guy who led me to Christ, said, yeah, he saw it just a, a few days later running through his property, which, by the way, up there along the Missouri River every once in a while, my whole life they've said that there's panthers and stuff that come up and down the river. And that's what Terry swears. He goes, that's what, that's what it was. He goes, it's scary to think about. I got grandkids out there playing on the swings, and me and my wife were looking at this deer, and, and he says, man, that thing was probably just a few feet away, ready to pounce on us. We didn't even know it, really, you know. And so, and I don't know if that happened with a panther, but something got in his deer and gutted. He said it even left the stomach alone because it knew it would ruin the meat, and it was planning on coming back to eat the meat. So it ate everything, the esophagus, he said, and then all the enteral, everything else was gone, left the stomach sack. Isn't that crazy? And what's that got to do with anything? I don't know if it was a cool story. It had something to do with it. Oh, it's, it's just lying in wait. <laughs> You know, he's like worried about this panther lying in wait and, uh, and, uh, or mountain lion or whatever it was, lying in wait to pounce on him. And that's kind, of the, that's kind of when you look at the verse here in Ephesians and he's talking about these false teachers. We don't want to minimize what, he's, what Paul's saying in chapter 4 when he says that, he says, uh, yeah, the cunning craftiness, where, the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait. I mean, they're just waiting like a wild animal to deceive. I mean, they're just ready to pounce. So an example of this form of a cult, you know, isn't, there's, they're all over the place. But I just wanted to use one that's nearby. And I don't mean to offend anybody here, but this is a, tr- this is a true example. Uh, sorry, guys, I, I skipped over all this. But this is a quote from a guy named Mike Bickle. And you can find this in... Uh, Char- charisma magazine he just did this not long ago if you go to charismamag.com it's there and he's dealing with some of these uh charismatics that he associates with and this is what he says this is coming from his own mouth he goes here's what i think troubles people it's hype bickle says i'm part of the charismatic community in terms of experience i appreciate that part of the body of christ but i'm troubled by how much hype is in some of the charismatic camps, meaning the exaggeration on the stage, the manipulation, the overstating of things, forcing people to buy into, are you feeling the power? And they, and they say, hey, uh, or they feel rejected if they don't say yay. So I think 
a lot of this stuff is fake. I don't think it's it's uh, I, I don't think it's charlatan deceivers. I think people uh, I think it's people saying I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be left behind. Yay, I did a miracle. I think sort of kind of you don't you don't need to do that. We don't need to help the Lord by faking manifestations, faking healings, overstating healings. The numbers are more than there were before and they're going to really increase and they're and they're not at all at the level we want, but I don't buy a whole lot of testimonies. The real ones, and I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater just because there's fake preachers that manipulate crowds and because there's fake manifestations and fake healings. It doesn't mean they're, they're fake. To me, I worked through, I worked through, I wanted to see the gold in the midst of the rust and the negative. If you're only looking at the fake, you're going to miss a lot because there's a greater story going on. The gold is there and it's increasing. Of course, I would totally disagree with all of, well, with, not with the fake part, but with the whole premise because signs are for the Jews. So that's, that's where that's at. But the point is, is that him and Hillsong and Bethel are like the big three. And uh, I'm telling you guys, the charismatic movement, a lot of that, it is fake by their own admission. And the scary thing is what's not fake? Because the devil can do miracles too. And he did it in his public ministry. So big deal. <laughs> I'm not interested in, in all that. I'm interested in the Word of God because the next thing on the agenda for the devil is signs and lying wonders. That's the next thing on the prophetic calendar is signs and lying wonders. So people need to take a clue on that. We need to be anchored in the Word of God till the catching away of the church because that, that is what we know is true. Um, so anyway, those are things that are, are when you talk about people lying in wait to deceive, there's a lot of that. I agree. There is a lot of that. Even charismatics would agree with that. And of course, I will say as well, in Baptist circles, just to be fair, I've seen plenty of charlatans within the Baptist church as well. So that is not just reserved to charismatics. So, uh, you know, you get them everywhere. Wherever God's working, the devil's working big time. So uh, Paul was careful to remind the Corinthians that carnality also is associated with infant Christians. And that's important to understand with this point of being grown up. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse uh, 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, which means fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with strong meat, for hitherto were you not able to bear it. You can only teach so much, right? You, can, you can't teach beyond what people are able to understand, or you shouldn't. I mean, uh, you, you should bring the Bible down to where people can get a hold of it. So Paul's saying, I can only teach you this much because you're not ready for, you know, this much. And so he's telling the Corinthians that, and he says in verse 3, For you're yet carnal. But he does say, Whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. That's what carnality looks like. Are you not carnal? Are you not fleshly and walk as men? For one saith, I'm of Paul, another I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? You know, it's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's about Christ. He says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, right? I'm a gift, he's a gift, you're the gift, but God's the one that gives the increase. It's all about Christ. So Paul's trying to say, grow up. Because if you stay petty and you divide up and you follow personalities and you don't follow Christ, you're immature and it gets petty and it gets divisive, right? Okay, so, so pastors and teachers understand that maturation is very, or they should understand, that maturity, maturation is very important, else we give place to the devil 
uh, for divisions and strife in the body. So if all we want to do as pastors, if we don't understand our job is to perfect, to complete, to help people grow up, what we end up doing is we just try to fill up our sanctuaries, you know, build more buildings, and keep the numbers running. You know, well, used car men can do that. So, and then the next thing, you know, the body's not getting built, right? Because who wants to learn the Bible? Uh, well, a lot of people don't want to learn the Bible. They really do want to be entertained. And so they're not, okay, so you've got to make a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to teach the Bible or am I going to entertain people, right? And so make a decision and then do what you're going to do and you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ with that. Um, and so we expect them to, you know, this is how it really is, though. If we don't mature people, we don't help the church, of which we're going to give account for how we help the church, because that's our position. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But conversely, you know, when you see a baby, I had an opportunity to be part of a new birth this last week. That was, that was this week, wasn't it? Man, time is flying. It was last week, okay. Last week, time's flying. I don't even, can't even remember. But a little adoption, got to help facilitate an adoption, a little baby boy, sweet as can be in the NICU. It's awesome. Okay, so we don't mind. We pick up the little baby, and he coos, you know. And then they do a little, and oh, oh well, we just grin and we laugh. It's no problem. No problem at all. You know, they get a little bigger and we feed them. We'll even pat them on the back and rub them, make sure they burp on us. You know, they get a little drool down our, oh, well, whatever. We don't care because it's a baby. We love babies, and we should love babies. It should be like that. We'll put up with all kinds of stuff. We don't even notice their bodily functions when they're little babies. We just think it's cute, and we go forward. But you know what isn't so cute when they're 5 years old, (laughs) 10 years old, 20 years old, laying around the house, soiling themselves. (laughs) They can't, you know, can't feed themselves. What do you mean? You're 20 years old. You can, you can make a hamburger. Right? And all of a sudden, the, the little, it isn't so cute anymore if they don't grow up. You know, babies, are they cry when their diaper's not clean. Oh, that's fine. Oh, thanks for crying. I needed to know that. Okay, let me fix you up here. No problem. That's what we do. We, we do that. We should do that. When they're hungry, cry. Oh, you're hungry. Here, let's get you. No problem. You're 20 years old, and you're screaming at your mom. Hey, mom, make me something to eat. Ah! Hey, man, why don't you go get a job? (laughs) If you don't work, you don't eat, pal. Right? Everything changes when there's no maturation. So what happens in the church? We're excited when babies are born, and it is exciting, and it should be. But if we don't actually raise people up in the Lord, what happens is everything I'm just talking about. You get a house full of babies, and it isn't cute after a while. It gets to be pretty ugly. And then there's, there's problems. There's, yeah, confusion. There's, there's problems. And so Paul brings these the same sentiments to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5 and uh, verse 11. Uh, he says, of whom uh, we have many things to say, hard to be uttered. I mean, let's, let's be honest. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible. It's pretty heavy stuff. Um, seeing that are dull of hearing. I mean, you're tired of listening. For when you, the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, right? The things that God has said. You, got, you need to go back and remember the first things 
at a time when you should be teaching. For every one of you that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. So now it's not so cute. It's cute when they're a baby that they need the milk. Paul's like, you know, it's great to have milk when you're a baby. Our discipleship one is milk on purpose. It's not meant to be a T-bone steak on purpose because we all need to start with the milk. But there comes a time when you know better, right? So someone's been saved. They've been through discipleship. You know, why are you fornicating? I mean, really? Why? Why are you committing adultery? There's no excuse for that, right? That kind of stuff. <laughs> That's just to make it really obvious. There's other things. You know, why are you, why are you beating your wife? Whatever, you can go down the list. Why are you just being unkind? Why are you being hateful? Why are you being selfish? Why, why are you not, in essence, not walking in the Spirit? Why are we not walking in the Spirit? That's, that's a really easy way. Why are we not walking in the Spirit? Aren't we old enough to know better? Right? And so, one of the ways that we mature is to speak up. Right? If we want to grow up, we need to speak up. So look at verse 15. Paul says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up uh, in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I know God matured me greatly by making me speak. I, didn't, I did not want to preach. Well, I probably did in my heart, but I didn't think I could. And I actually wasn't even trained to preach until after I was preaching, which is why I probably still have so many bad habits. But the point is this, is that, is that you grow up when you have to speak. And isn't it interesting... Um, about speaking, growing up. He says, speaking the truth in love may grow up. Now, notice he does say in love. So it's not like being hateful, you know, little two-year-old. You grow up right now, you little two-year-old. Right? You nurture people, don't you? You grow them up with, nur- with love, with tenderness, with kindness. You don't just, you know, yell at people like they're... The drill instructors are reserved for men that are like 18 years and older most of the time. For men, not babies. Right? So there's a time for that, but not, not when you're two years old. So that's why we need to nurture people that are young in the Lord. We need to be tender with them. And, uh, and, and we need to speak the truth in love so they'll grow up. Speaking is one of the markers of child development. Did you know that? When a child doesn't begin to speak, we become worried. When they can't put out what's been coming in, we start to get concerned. I mean, why is that child not speaking? Are they autistic? Are they, we start wondering, getting worried, because it's a part of the child development that they should say mama dada you know and then they verb- they start to verbalize you know food <laughs> thinky you know all those words that start to come out of their mouth and what what the children need to do is is start to express what they know like abba father right in romans 8:15 uh, that's what Paul says. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Father, Father. You know, one, the one is the Hebrew, the other is the Greek. Galatians 4, 6. Uh, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Oops. I thought I had another verse there for you. Where am I at? Nope, that's a different verse. All right, well, I'm getting there anyway. Did, we didn't put First John three eighteen up there. I didn't. So let me share this with you because she didn't have that. If you want a young Christian to speak with love, we need to model it. First John three eighteen, which isn't up there, you can write this down. It says, "My little children, let us love, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth." So this is how this works. 
if you want young Christians to grow up and speak the right things, what we've got to do is we've got to live the right things. You live the right things in front of them, they'll begin to speak the right things. Because we love, in, not in just word only, but in deed and truth. Now, we should have good words, but we should also have good lives. And that's that sanctification process. That's working out what God has put in us. That's allowing Christ to come out of our lives. So Paul will touch on that further at the end of the chapter. So the next one is to join up, right? So we got grow up, we got speak up, and then join up. But what are we talking about there? Well, in Ephesians 4.16, he says, for some... Um, for from, I'm sorry, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, make an increase of the body under the edifying or the building of itself in love. So this is like a self-building building. Uh, it's a spiritual building. Paul is building, in the, in, Paul is building on the process of chapter 2 uh, where it's, where we all, that we already read in verses 21 and 22 where, when he said, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So he's already told them you're fitly framed like a home. Like when we build a house, we put the sticks up. It's all framed. We call it we framed it in. But it's really just a bunch of two-bys and whatever and headers and everything that's gone in. But we've got to still bring it all together. And it's kind of shaky, right, until you put it all together, and then it's, it's fitly and firmly brought together, it's fitly, it's joined together. So in Proverbs 24 and verse 27, the Bible says, Prepare thy work without, and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterward build thine house. I don't think you have these verses, so. Uh, oh, I'm surprising myself. Okay, that's, I'm going too far. So I may not get very far than this because we're out of time, but, but, um, but the reality is, is that uh, fitting us together in the field is exactly what God wants us to do. Oh, well, not exactly wants us to do. That's what he is doing in us. He's joining us together now. All this is a dry run. He's putting the body of Christ together now. Because someday we're going to be assembled in the third heaven. Are you, so I'm tying this back into where we started. He, he's fitting us together now on earth in the field proverbs 27 let me read that again or 24 27 prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thine house what we call that in construction business is we would prefab so i would draw up a 3d model of the pipe and then they would go out and fabricate it in the shop they'd fit it all together then they would put it on a truck and ship it out to the job and just take it to the job and just put it in now we did that because it was cheap cheaper to build it with guys that did stuff in the shop in the good environment than trying to do all that in the field right so we did it for economy but that's a biblical principle prefab prefab and you see that picture in first kings chapter six back in first Kings six in verse seven uh, god fit together the, the temples so solomon's in charge of assembling the temple what he did is he had them go out and quarry all the stone and they fit all the stones at the quarry and then first Kings six seven says in the house when it was in building, was built one stone made ready before it was, it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. So the temple, Solomon's temple, was prefabbed. They were over at the quarry. They're doing all the work, making all the racket, all the noise, and then they're shipping that huge stone over to Jerusalem and that whole building is coming together, and you can't hear a sound. 
There's nobody hewing stone. There's nothing going on. Like, they're just putting these blocks in place. The next thing you know, there's a temple, a holy temple being constructed. And that's what God's doing right now. You can't hear it, but what God's doing, all the noise and all the racket down here on earth, he's building the body of Christ, and he's bringing it together. But someday, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be brought up together, and boom, all the dimensions are going to come together, and whoa, she's going to look awesome. It's going to be like when Eve, when Adam woke up from that deep sleep, and he's like, woman, man, she is something. And God is going to bring the, the bride of Christ together, and we're all going to be fitly joined. But right now what we do is we rub up against each other. Iron sharpens iron. And we, and we, and we make room for each other. Now notice what he says about that. Uh, he, he says that we are, we're, we're compacted together. Uh, that's interesting. And so, uh, so we're built supernaturally. and We are the building of God. And, and, we, and we will come together literally as the building of God. Now look what he says in verse 17. He says... And this is, I'm just going to start here. We'll finish this up next time. So I'm not going to get as far as I thought. But this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Well, let me back up. Look at verse 16. It says, For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. You compact, you know, it's like a garbage compactor, but it's not, we're not garbage. That means to bring in really close. You know what God wants to do for us right now? He wants us to get really, really close. He wants us to get fitted together so that when we get to heaven, we just, it'll just all come right together. He wants us to get as close to heaven here as we can. We need to get close. I like that. I, mean, I didn't want to miss that. Fitly joined. Fitly framed, fitly joined. So framing is kind of loose, isn't it? You know, when guys are framing a house, they're not, they're not like getting the tape measure out. Well, Maybe once or twice, but they're, you know, here it is, put it together, throw a nail in it. It's just framing, man. We'll get it all sorted out. And then when you get to those window openings, right, then you start getting out the shims, and you start making sure it fits just right. And those doors got to be just right. So now, well, there's the rough opening, we call it, but now we got to bring it in, and we got to get it fitly, fitly joined, because that door's only... 36 inches wide or that door is only 30 inches wide and it ain't going to change and so all the details when you get into that you start to bring all the things now all of a sudden all those dimensions start to matter and when that trim carpenter comes in now he's an expert and man somehow he's cutting those corners and they just are joining and that guy does the trim molding up there how did he do that i don't know around the edge how did he get all those corners to fit i don't know but if they don't fit you see big gaps and it's ugly good trim carpenter man he is precise and it all comes together, and it's fitly joined and fitly framed. You get what I'm saying. That's what we're doing. That's why we teach the whole counsel of God. That's why we make disciples, because we're trying to get everybody in the boat. But more than that, we need to get compacted together. And so next time we get together, I'll talk to you a little bit more about what we need to be doing practically. Our duty as Christians, it's really practical. Practical, practical, practical. How we both help in that process, because the preacher can't do it. But everybody in the, in the body has to be part of it. And there's some specifics that Paul gets into. So we'll talk about that next time in regard to putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Okay, so are there any questions or comments or thoughts?
Anybody, was this, was this edifying? You guys get anything from it? Okay, that's good. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you hung in there with us. I uh, hope to have us back soon. Tomorrow it's going to be 80 degrees. Turn off your furnace. Turn on your air conditioner. So uh, the Bible says he, God doesn't want us hot or cold, right? Or lukewarm. He wants us hot or cold. So that's what we got going in Missouri right now. Praise God. So uh, it's got godly climate, I guess. So, uh, okay. So let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we pray. If there's anyone